welcome. I'm E.G. Marshall. There is a distinction between assassination and murder, though both end in the victim's death. An assassin generally kills a political figure or prominent person for a cause or notoriety, not revenge, not money. He is an optimist who appoints himself judge and jury and is generally an ordinary person. We meet one today who killed an American president. What am I being accused of? Not deceit, sir, but ambition. I was ambitious to know your niece, Anna. I was ambitious to meet you, her uncle. And I am ambitious to make the law my career. To all that, I do plead guilty. Charles Guito, I see in you the makings of an excellent trial lawyer. I wish you good night. Good night, Anna. Good night, Uncle. Now, where were we? You were magnificent, Charles. It was nothing. Our mystery drama, Portrait of an Assassin, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by James Agate Jr. and stars John Lithgow and Patricia Elliott. I'll be back shortly with Act One. Some said he was a visionary. Some said he had delusions, but that there was value in his beliefs. But the means he used to benefit his country proved he was a misfit. Put a man on the scales. If he is in balance, the world gains. But if his purpose outweighs judgment, he is not a man but a beast. How does such a man become what he is? Charles Guiteau, the assassin of President Garfield, started life with a golden rule, which somehow became tarnished along the way. Last night, I had the first good night's sleep since I'd made up my mind to kill him. I slept like a baby, woke up refreshed, feeling fine. It's all because I was successful. Yesterday, I shot the President of the United States, and I know he's going to die. Charles? Yes? Who is it? It's me, Morland Finley. Finley? You came after all. I'm an attorney. We've known each other a long time. You might as well have someone you know represent you. All right, God, you may lock me in with the prisoner. Now, suppose we begin at the beginning, Charles, and you tell me all about it. All about it. Finley... Uh, have you talked to Anna? Your wife? My ex-wife. Have you talked to her? No, I haven't. Not recently. Oh, you should. You should. Anna, why did you? Why? Are you saying, Charles, your ex-wife, Anna, is implicated in this? I don't know. If I'd never met her, would I be here? Was all this her idea? Is that what you're saying? It was my idea. All mine. She had nothing to do with it. 
I want you quietly and reasonably to tell me when you first decided. How long can we live with tyrants, with injustice? Charles, do you understand why you're in jail? Of course. I planned it that way. Finley, I've changed my mind. I don't need a lawyer. It's only a matter of time, maybe minutes, before they'll come for me. Who? Why, General Sherman and General Grant and the people. Once everybody hears what I've done, they'll rise up and acclaim me. Don't you understand? Not quite, Charles. I have rid the United States of America of its greatest enemy. Removed him. I'm a patriot. So I can accept all this being placed in a cell overnight. It has to look all according to the books. Did you see the pistol I used? Yes, I've seen it. <laughs> I bought one with a bone handle because I knew it would look better in a museum. Anyway, I, I don't think I need a lawyer. With all due respect to you, Finley. Charles, you do. Not everyone will understand that your motive was Patriotism. People are so blind. I'm sorry, I'd offer you a cup of tea or coffee, but uh, I'm not in my own house. Mm. Did you ever have a house of your own? Oh, certainly. <laughs> I didn't always live in rooming houses. To look at me now in this bedraggled condition, you, you'd never believe I, I had a house, a wife, an excellent position in an attorney's office. Humphrey and Walters in Chicago. You, you probably heard of them. Yes. I had a house. And a wife. Anna. Oh, Anna. Tell me about Anna. I'm trying to remember. Was it 12 years ago? Was it really that long ago? Tell me about Anna. I met Anna. We met at the... Where was it? The Y. Yeah, the YMCA in Chicago. Twelve years have gone. She was working in the library in the YMCA. How pretty she was. Yes, uh, can I help you? Uh, do you have a copy of Blackstone's commentaries? I, I can't find it in the stacks anywhere. Blackstone... I'm not sure. I don't believe we have. Sir William Blackstone, you must have. Why, he's the Bible for jurists. Are you uh, an attorney? Yes, I am. I'm with uh, Humphrey and Walters here in Chicago. <laughs> I guess I'll have to look elsewhere. Oh, I wish I could be of help to you, Mr... Uh, uh, my name's Charles Guiteau. Uh, that's French. French? You speak English very well. Well, I've traveled a great deal. One picks up things. I also speak German. Oh, I don't speak any languages. It's a defect I'm going to correct as soon as I can. Your parents are... That's the problem. They both died not very long ago, and I'm living with my uncle. He's a very well-known lawyer, too. Isn't that a coincidence? Uh, I beg your pardon, miss, but uh, what did you say your name was? Anna. Anna Bunn. B-U-N-N. -N. Oh, Anna. That's interesting. Uh, I, I, I've made quite a study of names. Do you know what Anna means? 
Uh, no, I, I don't. I, well, I never thought about it. I must tell you sometimes. An unusual name. No, it's not. Uh, but then you're an unusually attractive young person. A great deal is revealed in a name. <laughs> I, I'm sorry about the Blackstone. I, I wish I could have helped you. Perhaps, Miss Bunn, there is something you could do for me. Uh, there is? May I have the honor of calling on you this evening at your uncle's residence? Uncle Ted, I met the most uh, a peculiar man today in the library. I, I mean peculiar nice. He's coming to call on me this evening. What? Tonight? Here? Call on you? Who, who is he? You just met this man in the YMCA? He's an attorney with Humphrey and Walters. Well, that's one aspect in his favor. Uh, what time is he coming? He said he'd be here at eight. Uh, Uncle, you're not angry with me. He'd like to meet you. He really would. No, no, child, I'm not angry. I realize you're becoming a woman, and it's, uh, I suppose, quite normal to... Uncle Ted, do you know what my name means? Your, your name? Anna? What Anna means? He, he said it was something nice, but I thought maybe you'd know. Well, there's a great deal an attorney is required to know, but the meaning of people's names is not one of them. Oh, that must be him. And it's eight o'clock. Punctuality. An excellent virtue. Uh, what is the uh, gentleman's name? Charles Guiteau. Well, you let him in. I have some briefs to prepare. I shall join the both of you in an hour. I tell you, from nowhere, he did it. Oh, others can do it. James Abram Garfield rose from nowhere. Born in a log cabin from a common laborer to a college president. It wouldn't surprise me in the least if someday he attained the highest office in the land. The president? Because he knows where he's going. Self-improvement. That's the American way. And it's my motto, Anna. Uh, may I call you, Anna? Miss Bunn? Well, I suppose so. <laughs> Although I don't know what my uncle would say. Oh, he's an attorney, you told me. I'm sure he looks ahead. Besides, we're almost into the 20th century. 1868. Don't you feel the magic of those numbers? Uh, I voted for Ulysses S. Grant, and he became president. 1868. What a year this is. Did you hear that a, a tremendous meatpacking company opened a big plant here in Chicago? Progress. The American way. Oh, you have a great many facts at your fingertips, Mr. Guito. Oh, but they're not as delicate as yours, Anna. Oh. <laughs> uh, what legal work do you do, Mr. Guito? You may call me Charles. Y you were going to tell me what my name meant. Oh, so I was. Anna means the graceful one. A magic name for beauty walking. Oh, my goodness. The shoe fits. Like Cinderella's slipper. Oh, 
and uh, Charles, your name, what does it mean? Charles comes from the Latin, Carolus, and it means strong and manly. And it also means spurious, deceitful, and false. I suggest, Mr. Guito, as you take up your hat, walk yourself to the front door, and let yourself out of this house. Let me explain. No, there's nothing to explain. I happen to know Judge Walters as an old friend and neighbor. I saw him just now. And he informed me that although you're employed in his legal firm, it is not as an attorney, but as a clerk. Do you hear that, Anna? A clerk? Sir, I ask again that I be permitted a few words. Mm, Go ahead. Keep them brief. I admit I passed myself off as an attorney to your niece. But the circumstances are extenuating, sir. I was not lying to her, per se, because I always think of myself as an attorney. It has been my life's ambition. Not deceit, sir, but ambition. I was ambitious to know your niece better. Ah, I was ambitious to meet her uncle. I am ambitious to make the law my career. And to that, and that alone, I plead guilty. Gito, I see in you the makings of an excellent trial lawyer. I wish you good night. Anna, when Mr. Gito leaves, make certain all the gas is turned down. Well, good night, sir. Come see us again. Good night, Anna. Uh, Good night, Uncle Ted. Now, where were we? Oh, you were magnificent. Oh, it's nothing. Uncle Ted is right. You are going to do very well. Oh, of course I am. I don't need him to tell me that. You could tell everything about you when when you spoke. You really are the most interesting man I've ever met. And you're the loveliest lady I have ever met. Why do you work in that library, Anna? Surely your uncle... Yes, he, he could take care of me easily, but... I want to work. I want to learn. I want to do something. I think we're very much alike. I hope we can become good friends. I would like that. You really think I made a good impression? On Uncle Ted? Oh, I know when he's pleased. Uh, Particularly when he takes a firm stand and then finds himself persuaded against his initial judgment. (laughs) He liked you, Charles. I'll make myself worthy of his friendship uh, and his endorsement. Uh, What do you mean? When I take my bar examination, one word from an attorney of his standing, and I'll be able to hang out my own shingle in six months. the pieces of a puzzle, those making up the portrait of Charles Guiteau are beginning to fit together. But like all men who believe so strongly in themselves, who have no friends but themselves, they are their own worst enemy. The paths of Anna and Charles have come together. Will they run parallel or cross? I shall return shortly with Act Two. Guito, 39 years old, sits in Washington's District of Columbia Jail, 
the morning after he has fired two bullets into the back of President James Garfield. His attorney, Moreland Finley, is questioning Guiteau, trying to put together a case for the defense. And did your wife's uncle intercede with the bar examiner on your behalf? Of course he did. And I became a lawyer. Not that I wouldn't have anyway. It didn't occur to you that having your wife's uncle put in a word for you was not exactly the proper way to pass an examination? It was my character he endorsed, not my ability. Finley, wake up. That's the way things are done. This is America. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. I don't understand. Anna's Uncle Ted was glad to get rid of her. <laughs> I was an excellent prospect for marriage. By helping me, he was ensuring his niece's future. And I was a good husband. I did everything I could until... I despise her now. Marrying Anna was the biggest mistake I ever made. She has asked to see you. Here? In jail? I won't allow it. I want to have nothing to do with her. If that's so, Charles, why did you marry her? <laughs> because... I married Anna because I loved her. That was then. Want to tell me about it? I remember the very day. It was a year after we'd married. Anna? Anna, I'm home. Anna, where are you? Anna. What are you doing, lying on the bed in your bathroom? We're supposed to be going out tonight to celebrate. We are? C celebrate what? Anna, what? What's the matter with you? It's our first anniversary. We've been married a whole year. Well, you know that. Come on now, honey. Get, get dressed. I've got a table reserved for us at the Wisteria. Charles. Mr. Tupper. The landlord was here. What, again? I told him last week I'd start paying him back what we owed him and not to worry about it. Charles, he says if he doesn't get the past six months' rent by Friday, he, he's going to evict us. Oh, just let him try. <laughs> After all, I'm a lawyer. I, I know the law. Wait till I show you the snazzy suit I bought in your honor to celebrate our anniversary. I told the salesman, never mind the box. I'll be wearing this suit in half an hour. Feel that material, honey. The latest thing, Cheviot. Now, you get dressed. How did you pay for it? I charged it. How, how are you going to pay for the dinner? Just put my John Hancock on the check. They know me at the Wisteria. They're, they're thinking of hiring me as their attorney. I'm sorry. I don't feel well, Charles. And I don't want to go there. We, we mustn't run up any more bills. All right, then. I'll go get a bottle of wine. Put it in the icebox and we'll celebrate here. I tell you what, you order what you want and I'll make dinner for us. I'll cook it. On what? On our stove, of course. Anna, what's the matter with you? Don't you think I can cook? Charles, they came today and they took the stove away. Who did? Bradford's, where we bought it. And they took the icebox away, too. Oh, Charles. How long is this going to go on? Oh, I'm having a little hard time getting established. Be patient. But you spent everything we saved. Everything Uncle Ted gave me when we married. New suits, dinners, our old Charles, Charles. We have to be careful. You've given me an idea. Your uncle. 
when he gets back from his vacation, I'll ask him to advance us something. I, I've never asked him for a penny. Your uncle owes you something. Well, he owes me something, too. I took you off his hands. So the least he could do... What, what, what did you say? Well, a couple of hundred is the very least he could do. And he won't even feel it. You took me off his hands? A figure of speech, more or less. No, 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 I won't. Anna, don't make me angry. I'll tell him about the account I'll have, the Wisteria restaurant. Just a couple of hundred. Enough to get old Tupper off our backs. Oh, Charles, what what does the restaurant want a lawyer for? To collect from all those people who sign for their meals and haven't paid up. I'm the ideal attorney for them. <laughs> now, how to celebrate. I've got it. Don't get dressed. Stay as you are. Your hair in a mess, just the way it is. Go downstairs and knock on Tupper's door. Tell him you're so ashamed, you've spent all the household money, and you wanted to buy me an anniversary present. Can he loan you $20? We're already into him for six months. What's another 20 Then we can go out, have ourselves a whale of a time, and it's all paid for. <laughs> I'm so ashamed. Having to leave Chicago like this and not telling anyone. We didn't have to leave. I decided New York City would be a better opportunity. To be locked out of our rooms, Charles. It was so shameful. <laughs> Old Tupper didn't reckon with me, did he? <laughs> there he is, having dinner. And I'm up in our rooms right under his nose, quietly taking away all our own things and hauling it off in that hired express wagon. Charles, <laughs> when we get to New York, where are we going to stay? The best hotel we can find. You have to look prosperous in New York. Success must be written all over you. Nobody looks twice at failure. You know, Charles, I think you should try politics. <laughs> You'd be very good at it. You think so? I agree. Politics. Attach myself to a meteor, and as he blazes through the sky, so shall I. But uh, how will you know who to follow? Well, there's a presidential election coming up. There's a man running on the Democratic and Liberal ticket. Horace Greeley. Horace. From the Latin, Horatius. Light of the sun. That's my man. I want to stand in that light. Work for Greeley. That's the road to success. Charles, you mustn't fail now. I won't. Why now? Well, because, Charles, we're going to have a baby. You? We? A baby? Anna. Anna, darling, you're going to have a baby. I'm going to have a baby. <laughs> it's a dream come true. Did, did that ever happen to you, darling? All, all of a sudden, a, a dream come true? No, never. Just the opposite in my life. Until now. So, you see? Things change. Now we'll have a baby. It would be wonderful. It will be wonderful. If I don't get dealt another hand from the bottom of the deck. Oh, don't be so pessimistic, silly. You're right, Anna. Go on, Mr. Engineer. Blow your train whistle for New York. Success and our baby. Anna. Come on, follow me. 
We climb out this window and walk down the fire escape to the street. I can't. I'm afraid it's so high. Are you talking about the whole hotel is only five stories high? And we're on the third floor. I can't go out there, Charles. I can't. So what do we do? Wait till morning till they take everything away from us? Anna, are you going to stand in the way of my becoming an important politician in New York? Now, come on. You, an important politician. <laughs> Nobody knows you exist. It's the same old story. We, we run up bills. We can't pay the rent and have no money because you have no job. No, I don't have a mere job. I have a position with the Republican Party. I speak at rallies for Horace Greeley. But you never told me that. Well, now I have. If anyone in the party finds out we had to take a moonlight flit, I can kiss my future goodbye. Now, just step over the windowsill. I've got the bag. I can't. I can't. Oh. I'm sorry I slapped you. You try the patience of a saint. Now do it. Uh, follow me down one step at a time. All right. I, I, I'm c- c- coming. My darling Anna, it's so good to see a smile on your face. You see, this rooming house is quite cozy. I hope they've fixed the loose step. I told them again, but I'm careful. I step over it. I don't mind, and neither does he. Do you mean our son? <laughs> oh, I'm sure it'll be a boy. Oh, he kicks so hard. <laughs> I was telling Mr. Greeley about the baby today. I said to him, Mr. Greeley, I'm working as hard as I can for you to get elected because I want my son to be kissed by the President of the United States. Mr. Moldman, would you slow up this trolley when you get to 22nd Street? That's where I have to get off. I said, could you slow up, please? Slow down the trolley. I'm running my cane through the front glass window. I told you to slow. Uh, you refused. I am Charles Coteau, a prominent member of the Republican Party. My wife is here. I have a message to get home as quickly as possible, and you are hindering me. I shall report you to the authorities. Out of my way, woman. Can't you see I want to get to the door? Are you Charles Coteau? Yes, I am. I'm Mrs. Hager. The midwife. The midwife? Did you come to see Mrs. Kito? Has she delivered her baby? Mr. Kito, sit down here on the steps well, next to but, me. But I want to go up and see my wife. There's time for that. She's resting. Comfort. Then you saw her. I've been with her, yes. Well, we didn't expect a baby for another month. Is Anna all right? She's all right, oh. but she lost the baby. Yes, your wife fell down the stairs. Oh, Lord. Now, now, you sit here on the stoop and try to gather yourself together. She fell down the stairs. It was that loose step. She's very brave, your wife is. She'll be fine. <laughs> Why me? Why me? Why is everything visited on me? yourself, Anna. What does it all mean? First, our baby who isn't even born. Then Horace Greeley, one of the greatest men who ever lived. He's defeated. And in three weeks, he's dead. Everything I touch withers away. Dies. Everything that has meaning. Charles. 
one must go on. You've been dragging yourself around for weeks now. Uh, Charles, what are we going to live on? I don't care. I had a dream come true. And you said no, never? I said I didn't believe in dreams coming true. Something always deals you a bad hand from the bottom of the deck. Oh, I can't stand it when you go on and on like that. I'm so tired of hearing you moaning and groaning around the house every day. I thought I was marrying a man. You didn't choose me, Anna. Do you think I would have looked at you twice if your uncle hadn't been a prominent attorney and could give me a leg up? What makes you say such hateful things, Charles? You loved me and I loved you. Is it all in the past tense? Has it all passed? That's up to you, isn't it? If one could look deeply behind the mask that hides our suffering, we might have an inkling of what compels certain inexplicable actions. We shall look further at Charles Guiteau, driven by ambition, seemingly cursed by the fates, a man who in spite of himself turned history upside down when I return shortly with Act Three. The records show that from this time on, Charles' wife, Anna, began to fear for her life. She was afraid her husband was losing his mind that he had little control over his actions. Each day brought new delusions and new terrors. Anna, did you kill our baby? Charles, Charles. Uh, I'm not mad, you know, nor am I blind. Did you deliberately walk on that loose step because you didn't want us to have the baby? You, you did it on purpose, didn't you? I can't stand to listen to this anymore. I, I'm leaving until you come to your senses. You are going nowhere. Let go. You're hurting my arm. You will leave when I tell you to leave. I'm your master. Do you understand that? Yes. Yes, Charles. You will do as I say. Yes, Charles. That's better. I've decided to go to Washington. Yes, Charles. If Greeley had lived, I would have been his minister to Chile. You know that, don't you? I know that, Charles. Well, that's why I decided to remain in New York. You said Washington. I said no such thing. I said New York. I shall open an office downtown to collect bad debts. I shall become wealthy. Then, with that money, I'll return to politics. And I expect to find you here when I do, Anna. I've been thinking, Anna. I've never put the finger on your uncle. If I wrote him, do you think he might be able to advance us a little money? I'm sorry, Mr. Finley. M my husband isn't home, but I expect him pretty soon, I if you'd like to wait. And Mrs. Gito, your husband has rented space from our legal firm down on Liberty Street. Uh, we gave him a desk from which to conduct his business. Uh, this is rather embarrassing. Uh, you sure you won't have some tea, Mr. Finley? Uh, uh, Charles ought to be home soon. No, thanks. Since you and I have never met, of my card. Warren Finley, attorney. Your husband isn't in New York, Mrs. Gito. Not at this moment. Oh. I was afraid so. 
Oh, I'll be honest with you. I, I haven't seen him in four days. You see, over the weekend, Charles managed to have the desk he was using removed from our building. We traced it to a used furniture dealer to whom he sold it. Are, are you sure? Unfortunately, yes. He told the dealer all he wanted it for was to have enough money to get him to Washington. Charles. Charles, how stupid. I'm sorry, Mrs. Gito. Obviously, you know nothing about any of this. No. I can see that your problem with your husband is far greater than ours with the stolen desk. Oh, Mr. Finley. I'm afraid. And I'm... Well, well I, I, I'm alone, really. I, I, I had an uncle, but, but he just died. I, I just found out today. I, I don't know whom to turn. Well, let me help. Sooner or later, your husband will come back to New York, and I'll have a talk with him. Something's happened to him in just the past year. I, I don't know him anymore. He acts as though the whole world owes him a living. More than that, that he should be recognized and, and famous. Perhaps... Charles isn't well. Uh, I don't know. You will forgive me, Mrs. Gito, for a personal observation. Are those bruises on your arms and on your face? Yes. Uh, I think it's you who needs to be protected. And when I see Charles, I'm going to tell him so. I'm sorry you're upset about the desk. Of course, I'll pay for it. It was the weekend I needed the fare to Washington. I couldn't reach you. <laughs> I mean, what else could I do? You knew I was good for it. I went to see your wife, Charles. Oh, did you? Uh, I haven't seen her yet myself. I came right down to the office from the train. She's in for another shock, I'm afraid. Her uh, uncle passed away. I learned that while I was in Chicago. I thought you said you went to Washington. Uh, by way of Chicago. Uh, I wanted to see Uncle Ted first. I was too late. Not a dime. What do you mean? He didn't leave us a dime. Not anyone. Didn't have a dime. An illness took everything. Now, Finley, if you can wait just a few days, I will pay you for the desk. In the meantime, uh, do you have another one I could use? I don't know that we ought to do that. Put all my stationaries printed giving 96 Liberty as my address. Ah, I have to run. You know, I've been gone a week and Anna will be worried. But she'll be happy when I tell her I've got excellent prospects for a political career. Someday, Finley, you'll boast that you rented office space to the Minister of France. Charles Jules Guiteau. Charles. Anna isn't at the apartment. She isn't. I advised her to move out. And she has. <laughs> what is all this? Uh, where is she? I'm sorry, but I can't tell you. Finley, I will institute proceedings against you, accusing you of kidnapping my wife, I warn you. Right now, at this instant, you believe you'll file suit, Charles. But you won't carry it through. You may strike a woman, but in a man's world, you're... Not a man of your word. 
You're not even a man. You think so? You don't know me. I wish I knew what to advise you. You appear to live in a world that doesn't exist. Does that mean I can't have a desk here? Mm. I'll find some space and a desk. At least that way I can keep an eye on you. Charles, may I share this bench with you? Don't talk. The pigeons don't like noise when they're eating. What do you feed them? Crumbs and seeds. It's been a long time. I didn't know you were still in New York. I have an office uptown. Doing well? I was until today. Did you come to Crow, Finley? I don't know what you mean. Um, have you heard from Anna? No, why should I? Please don't talk about her. You hurt her a lot, too. I was angry at the time when she divorced me. I'm not angry now. Hand me that bag of bird seed next to you, Finley. If she'd stayed married to you, how would she know you wouldn't get angry again and hurt her? Because I loved her. But that's all over. Everything's over. Did you see the Herald this morning? James Gordon Bennett's filthy sheet? No. You'll enjoy it. Third page headline. A profitable collecting lawyer. But, hey, that's a picture of you. What's this about? They claim that when I collect money due a client, that I keep everything I collect as my commission. How did they get this story? Somebody's out to get me. Ruin my business. Ruin me. I don't know why I should be surprised. It's been that way all my life. Uh, God, may I have another ten minutes with Mr. Guito? I'll be finished talking to him then, and you can let me out. That was the last time we met Charles in the park in New York when you were feeding the pigeons. Until... People are so selfish. Somebody has to take care of those birds. Until this morning here in Washington. Finley, old friend. Do you think you could handle my defense? It depends on what I can prove. There's no question but that you shot President Garfield yesterday morning at the Baltimore and Potomac Railroad Station. It was the only way to save the country. How did you come to decide that? When Greeley lost, I wanted Garfield to be elected, so I worked for him. I wrote pamphlets, cornered politicians, did everything I could. I put in to be a consul or minister to France or, or Austria. Uh, my languages... Garfield owed it to me. I got him elected. I didn't know you spoke those languages. I deserved that. Most of those appointments go to friends who couldn't find those countries on the map. So every day I'd go to the White House and leave a message to remind the president I wanted one of those jobs. Did he know you? Of course he knew me. It had been me stumping for him, speaking everywhere. There isn't a street corner from here to New York I didn't speak at. Finley, I swung that vote. And then, about six weeks ago, Garfield betrayed me. He betrayed all of us. 
I'd gone, as usual, to the White House. Good morning, Mr. Guito. Uh, did you pass my message of yesterday in to the president? I took care of it. You know, the president is very busy. You don't have to tell me. I know how time-consuming the affairs of state can be. He and I have often joked about it. You've talked to the president? Well, not recently. I knew Jim and his family back in Ohio. Did you know he was born in a log cabin? No, Mr. Guiteau, I didn't. Mm -hmm. Born in Orange in Cuyahoga County, Ohio. We were neighbors. Uh, he ought to make his decision about who is to be the next minister to Austria pretty soon. Minister to Austria? Uh, you told me France yesterday. I did. <laughs> France wouldn't be much of a hardship. Uh, but I've written him I plan to marry a very wealthy Austrian lady so that we can entertain in high style in Vienna. Uh, that's important, you know. Uh, Mr. Guito, I've been asked to ask you not to come to the White House anymore. I don't understand. Uh, orders have been given from a very high level. It's not my doing. Uh, that you're not to be admitted through the gates after today. It's incredible. Why, I put Garfield into the White House. It was my pamphlets, my speeches. You know, you know he won by a very narrow margin. And it was I, Charles Jules Guiteau, who got him elected. I'm sorry, sir. I didn't know that. Now, if you'll excuse me. I left the White House and went to my rooms. What should I do? That night, for the first time, I heard a voice. Kill Garfield. Kill Garfield. Kill him. Kill him. It was the only answer. Rid the country of that man. Remove him permanently from office. Now I knew. After 39 years of wondering why I'd been placed on this earth, I knew why. I suddenly had a meaning. I, Charles Jules Guiteau, had but one purpose in life, and that was to save the Republic. The past and the present tell us we are at the mercy of those self-appointed saviors who all too often see death as the all-purpose answer. Charles Guiteau, the assassin, had a vision to heal the blindness of sight. Unhappily, it was he who was blind. I shall return shortly. What in the World Happened in December, brought to you by your local Navy recruiter. In December 1775, the first flag unfurled aboard an American warship was hoisted by Lieutenant John Paul Jones on board the flagship Alfred at Philadelphia on the occasion of placing the Continental Navy in commission. George Washington resigned his military commission in December of 1783 and retired to his estate at Mount Vernon, Virginia. December 1851, over 30,000 volumes in the Library of Congress were destroyed in a fire. 
The highest bridge in the world was completed in December 1929. The Royal Gorge Bridge across the Arkansas River in Colorado suspends 1,053 feet over the gorge. In December 1941, Japanese aircraft attacked Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. Six ships were sunk, 12 damaged, 150 aircraft destroyed, and 2,334 were killed or missing. The surprise attack forced the United States into World War II. That's what happened in December. To find out what's happening in the Navy today, call toll-free 800-841-8000. In Georgia, call 800-342-5855. There are some who say no man in high office is safe from the assassin's hand. That in this country, the mere fact that one American is exalted above others fuels the fires in the dark minds of fanatics. In that respect, our era might be called uncivilized. Because we of Mystery Theater believe only the clear light of knowledge and understanding can protect society, we have presented this portrait of an assassin and hope someday we can call ourselves civilized. Our cast included John Lithgow, Patricia Elliott, and Robert Dryden. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams.